Hey, Daryl, good to have you. Well, thank you. It's great to be here, Rick. Yeah, it's wonderful. So you're the uh, third person in our Grounded Toward Growth interview series with uh, speakers that we brought in for my Vistage group. So it's great to have you here. Uh, just for those listening, uh, Daryl Mullis is an award-winning Vistage speaker. Uh, he met with my two chief executive groups in May of this year to discuss mastering financial statements, the truth behind the numbers. Um, and Daryl was such a hit that my CEOs asked that we bring him back this fall to run an expanded session uh, with not only my CEO members, but their respective employees. And so we conducted that a couple of weeks ago in September. Um, it was a really great session. Um, so, so Daryl, I'd like to start off by, you know, can you give us a bit about your background, um, how the Mastering Financials Workshop came about, and maybe explain that uh, to the audience, as well as the impact that you have seen with this training, with these sessions uh, for Vistage members and their companies? Well, thank you for that question. My, uh, I have a kind of unusual background. Um, I'm not really, I don't really have a formal background in finance. Um, I learned uh, about financial statements kind of by the seat of the pants. I ran a construction company for about 12 years in Vermont and had to learn to understand my financials from that. And then a friend of mine had created a program called the Accounting Game that used a child's lemonade stand to teach people how to understand financial statements. And she took that nationwide and I became the first person who trained to teach that program. I went on to become the master trainer for it and taught it about 400 times in, in every state in the country. Wow. Uh, uh, and then later uh, that company got bought out and the accounting game got bought out. And so I left the company and started my own company and, and changed the, I didn't, couldn't use the lemonade stand. So I designed programs for big clients that model their own company. And so that's really how the Vistage course came along. The accounting game had been developed back here in the 70s uh, and didn't have a very adequate explanation of cash flow. So I added that and a few other things to make it a more comprehensive financial training program. Oh, well. Well, speaking of cash flow, so, you know, both during our um, meetings, but also during the workshop a couple of weeks ago, um, it became really clear the importance of the cash flow statement. And I think so often we think about balance sheets and income statements uh, and cash flow is almost a secondary thing. You know, let's look at the bottom line in the checkbook. But what you were able to show us is how critical the cash flow statement is. And yet, how many companies don't seem to understand that importance uh, or have the systems and, and, and mechanisms in place to be tracking cash flow? So from your experience, you know, um, why is that? Why is it the cash flow statement just doesn't seem to be that well understood? Well, you know, Rick, it's actually pretty ironic because, you know, everybody's heard the term cash is king. Right. And we all know that the most important thing 
to daily operations of a company is having enough cash to pay your bills and pay your payroll. Uh, and so it is ironic. Um, I think the main reason that cash flow is not very well understood is it's the newest of the three financial statements. Uh, the balance sheet and income statement are hundreds of years old. A balance sheet was originally created in the 1400s and has been used. Uh, it was the original statement. The income statement came along shortly after that. So companies have been familiar with running their companies to those two for literally hundreds of years. Uh, only in the late 1980s, when a couple of large corporations that were showing profit on their income statement uh, went bankrupt because they had reinvested so much cash and things like inventory that didn't have enough cash to pay the rest of their bills and had to declare bankruptcy. That At that point, the government in the, in the U.S. decided, well, we better start requiring cash flow reporting. So the cash statement became a requirement. I don't think understanding cash flow is really that difficult. It's just that most companies have not been in the habit of uh, printing it so that they really look at it. Right, right. And so that's why I, I don't think it's, a, again, I don't think it's difficult or even difficult to understand once you understand the statement, but you have to get have to get your software package to report it to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, to get caught with uh, inadequate cash is, that's a problem. And uh, so, no, I know our, our, our folks have learned much from that. I think a lot of people have, erroneously believe if we're making money, we have cash, but that isn't always true. Cash can be tied up either. Obviously, I said earlier, it can be tied up in inventory. It can also be tied up in accounts receivable. Uh, and you can also burn through cash if you pay your bills too fast. And yeah. so those are the three you're managing there. What's what's called working capital management. That's there's the three places you have to manage to manage your working capital. Great. Well, I know it was extremely helpful and a number of eye opening for a number of our folks. Um, you know, core to the workshop, Daryl, um, was the education, you know, using some generic uh, material that you provided and, and walking us through the very powerful way these various statements and how to read them and look at them. But then the last couple hours of the workshop, we used the actual data from a number of our companies who volunteered to share with those in the room uh, what their numbers looked like. And um, you had um, uh, taken some raw data and, and uh, put it into a financial spreadsheet that was really the core of the program, uh, which allowed us to do the analytics. Um, can you speak about how it is this spreadsheet came about? And I think we can put that on screen here, as well as um, how you use it with participants as we did in the last part of the session. Well, first of all, Rick, when I do a Vistage class, it's only a three and a half hours. So we don't have time to do this particular activity in the program. And so this is a part of my full day program we did with your special group. Yeah. It also included a ring toss game earlier in the day. Yeah. 
which was, uh, and then this was this was the the final activity. This spreadsheet. Look, every company needs to know: Are we making money? Are we generating sufficient cash flow to pay our bills? Are we then having enough cash to invest in growth? And is that growth uh, profitable growth? Are we getting a return on the money we're investing in new things? And so that's really this sheet is a one page document that I've created that helps people understand and answer those questions. Its primary purpose is really to help you as a business CEO or, or, or senior executive understand how's the operation of our company performing it's essentially to profit cash flow and return on invested capital yeah wonderful well it was it was uh, again it, it allowed people to understand and see things they were not aware of and it happened right in the room so again i want to appreciate well, I think its main advantage, Rick, is a lot of times if people don't know exactly what to look at, they get too much financial data. Yeah. And it's often in the form of raw numbers. And raw numbers are hard to understand. Right. So this sheet gives them some of the raw numbers, but turns them into ratios right. that tell them how is you know, how are they doing it? Is revenue increasing? What's happening cost of goods? What's happening to operating expenses? How are they affecting our earnings? How efficiently are we turning revenue into earnings? Absolutely. And then it specifically looks at those three issues around working capital management. How fast are we collecting receivables? How well are we managing inventory if we have it? And how about our payables? And finally, things like return on assets and asset turnover to help the executive team understand how are their how are their investments paying off. Right. Absolutely. I know um, for I've had probably six or seven one to ones since the workshop. And in every case, we've pulled out the spreadsheet and we've uh, and we've gone back and gave me a chance to say, so what is it? that you learned out of the workshop or for those who did not share the data, what is it you've learned in your conversations with Daryl about your numbers? And we've worked those issues into our, into our priority list. One example is, um, you know, some folks went from a very reasonable account, accounts receivable to, you know, five times what happened what's going on there and it led to lots of conversations about various clients so um very helpful what you can see my uh, my objective in creating that one page document was to give a ceo a picture of the overview of the essential elements of their operation so that they can see where are we strong where is there any place that has changed that has weakness uh, what do I need to work on? What questions do I not need to ask of sales, operations, finance to understand if any number has changed significantly in 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 our ratios? Right, absolutely, and it and it and it did. It showed.
<clears throat> Daryl, um, on the screen is the other, I think, really important part of our conversations and your presentations uh, called the business cycle model. And it really took this, you know, stubby pencil work, this nuts and bolts and analysis of the numbers through your spreadsheet. And we stood, we stepped back to say, so what? And, and really answer the question, what is, what are the core numbers that are typically the CEO responsible for? What are the core numbers that typically the COO is responsible for? And then what is the role of the CFO in both capturing and providing the reports for the for those two respective uh, colleagues, as well as the CFO thinking strategically as well. Um, could you talk a bit about your business cycle model, how that came about and, and what impact you've seen with that uh, with your clients? Well, uh, my personal fascination is to make difficult things easy to understand. And yeah. so you can see, that one page model we just talked about that gives the ratios is a one page to make it simple how you understand your operational performance. Right. The business cycle was created because of my desire to help executives understand what are the strategic and tactical decisions that are essential in a successful operation and who makes each kind of decision. And so, the cycle is divided into four set uh, parts, really. And, you know, it starts with assets that are there to drive revenue. Then revenue is there to generate profit and profit is there to collect into cash. So those are the four aspects of it. And so you want to look at what is the activities uh, that occur in each section. And then it is it then is sort of divided again into what is you might call the strategic versus tactical aspects of running a business. And, and as you might guess, the, the CEO and, and with larger companies, the entire senior executive team is mostly responsible for the strategic issues, which, you know, what are we going to invest in and how are we going to drive the highest possible quality and amount of revenue. That's their main job is to drive revenue to the business. Once a company has that revenue, it becomes more tactical of, and how efficient are we then at converting revenue to profit and profit to cash, which that section is literally the heart of the operation run by the COO and all the operational staff. Um, the CFO, as you can probably guess, plays a role in both areas, helps the CEO in de developing strategic initiatives and helps the operations resolve issues between sales and operations themselves and, and just helps them make that operation more efficient. And of course, is responsible for managing uh, working capital, collecting cash. Um, so that model helps you to see your, again, on one page, the entire picture of your operation. And so you can see where you're strong and where you might be weak and need to develop. And it also ties those metrics that we do in the, in the 
sheet we talked about earlier to the this model. So it shows you, for example, asset turnover as the executive team's measure of how effective their strategic decisions are. It shows you return on sales as the major uh, measure of efficiency. How efficient are we at converting revenue to profit? And then working capital model to show how efficiently profit is being converted to cash. And then ROA as how, how much are we getting in return on where we got the money tied up in all the assets. So that it relates to, and it's why you then need the bottom line measures to see how you're doing it. And it relates into each of the four phases of your business cycle. We, um, you know, we have a saying in Vistage, <clears throat> all of our executives have heard it. How do I spend less time working in the business so I can spend more time working on the business? And, and I find it to be that never ending challenge of being able as a CEO to give yourself the space to think strategically, to, to step back from the day to day and really take a breather and, and be thinking about where are we, where do we want to go? How do we get there? And when we say all of that, oftentimes people say, okay, but what is it I'm looking at? And what I found so helpful, what I think our members found so helpful about the business cycle model is that we gave some very specific concrete uh, um, ratios, numbers that are required to think strategically, are required to think operationally. And so it, it really puts some meat on the bones in terms of working in the business versus working on the business. So again, uh, a great piece of work there. I want to thank you for that. Well, you know, the uh, working on the business is the shift from tactics to strategy. Yes. And honestly, most most Vistage CEOs and, and most company CEOs started their company and they were very small and yep. they managed everything. Right. And if they grow, eventually there's too much to manage and they have to turn over the management of operational issues to other people. Yes. And of course, that's essential. Having people who are qualified to run the operation at least as well, if not better than you, frees you up then to work on the business so that you're then your time becomes spent on where are we going? What's our footprint in the world? How much, how are we expanding? How do I look at the global marketplace and see where our sales going to come from? And how do I position our company to have the highest and best quality of sales? That's that's really then how you're working on the business, because let's face it, almost every strategic decision made in every company in the world is about how do we improve the quantity and quality of revenue. Right. Exactly. And get to that that first that first circle there. That top line is so important. There's no bottom line without a top line. So right. you, got to, you got to make sure that's why it's in the CEO's hands. So the, that's the most important thing in a business, that top line. Yep, yep. Well, it's been very helpful for our, our, our members. Um, I know a number of my folks followed up with you, uh, Daryl. Um, what does a typical um, follow-up conversation look like 
um, when you when you're engaging a Visage CEO? Well, a lot of times it's just additional details about that spreadsheet and, and specific items on it. And sometimes uh, they might have specific questions about a problem area in their company and what my, my thoughts are of how they can resolve that problem area. I might give them some creative uh, ways to look at their operation and how to expand it or, or certainly to look at what is the most profitable area of the business and how they might expand that. Uh, some people just want to buy that pay, that software from me and I sell them the, the software itself if they want to, you know, that is something they could create, but if they don't want to take the time to create it, I, I sell it to them. So those are the kinds of uh, just conversations that we have. Great. No, I know it's been what, Two or three of my folks have done that, so I appreciate it. Yes. Um, my last question is, um, I loved your story. I, I understand you have a soft spot for the ice cream industry. Can you tell our folks how that came about? Uh, yeah, that was that's an interesting part of my life. Many years ago, uh, I actually worked in a treatment facility for disturbed teenagers for several years up in upstate New York. Uh, near Ticonderoga, and I, I met a guy there named Ben who was a pottery teacher at the school. We worked together for three years, and then the school closed, so we both moved to Vermont, and Ben wanted to start an ice cream store, uh, and I started my construction company, and he found an old gas station and wanted to, he wanted to start his ice cream store in there and asked me if I'd help him fix up the gas station. And I said, sure, I'll help. He said, I got no money to pay you with, but I'll give you free ice cream for life. And so I said, okay, Ben, I'll help you at night and on weekends. So, <laughs> now, uh, I, I, you know, along with his friend, Jerry, I'm now the charter member of the Ben and Jerry's free ice cream for life club. <laughs> I get all the ice cream I can eat for absolutely free. Uh, and those guys were great friends and, uh, we don't see that much of each other anymore. They still live in Vermont and I'm in course in Colorado. So, but they send me, uh, I get a package of coupons to buy pints of ice cream uh, all the time. And I can also go to their franchise stores to get anything I want. It's kind of nice. I was very popular at my daughter's birthday parties. I bet you were. What a great story. That's a lot of fun. Wonderful. Well, Daryl, I want to thank you for your time today. Um, we will be uh, putting up on the screen here your contact information, email, phone number, and so on. What's the best way for people to reach out? What's the best way for people to contact you? Well, they can just text or call me at 303-961-4941 uh, or email me, Daryl at metamarklearning.com. Uh, either of those is fine. I'll, I'll respond as quickly as possible and love to talk to anyone. Great. If they're interested in have, simplifying and having a better way to understand their financial statements and how their operation is performing. Super. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rick. Yep. Enjoy, enjoy talking with you. Same here. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.